So Money, episode 932, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Friday in August. What's on your money mind, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Ask Farnoosh Friday. I hope you're all having a great start to your long weekend. My mother's in town. Yes, Persian mom is in the house. She's been cooking up a storm. We're just going to hang out in Brooklyn for the rest of the weekend, maybe go to a barbecue on Monday, but pretty much keep it local. Hashtag staycation. Good luck to all the families out there prepping for back to school or already have started back to school. I think that's crazy in some states and some parts of the country. People have already, kids have already gone back to school and there's a bit of fall in the air, right? feel like that pumpkin spice latte is going to come a little sooner than later this year. Let's go to our iTunes page to encourage reviews. I have been giving uh, people who have left reviews recently a free 15-minute money session with me, one-on-one, you and I chatting about whatever you want, money, career, fill in the blank. We've been doing this for a few weeks. I did this at the very beginning of the So Money podcast launching in 2015 as a way to encourage reviews because reviews really go very far. People always ask, like, how can I support your show? I mean, if you if you enjoy the show, Obviously, subscribe, that would help, but also leave a review. That not only helps me, but it also signals to iTunes that your show is being listened to, that it's uh, of interest, and and as a result, we'll sometimes give you a little bit of more love in the iTunes store, and discovery is a big part of what allows podcasts to be successful is sort of people, you know, browsing, looking for topical shows. Um, And if your show is front and center, you have a much better chance. So really appreciate everybody who has left a review since day one. But as promised, let's go and see who's left a recent review. And I'm going to pick someone at random. I'm going to pick Facebook Lily, who left a review on August 25th. And uh, Facebook Lily says that this podcast eases financial anxiety. She says, I've been listening for several months now, and this is my first and only financial podcast. I've searched for one to help erase some financial anxiety that I was experiencing during the first year after my spouse retired from 22 years of active duty with the Navy. Now that our income has increased and we're having to make more decisions with our money, it's hard not to feel paralyzed with fear about making the wrong ones. I know, great fear to have, she says. This is an excellent podcast for sound advice. Thanks, Farnoosh. Well, thank you, Facebook Lily. And let's hop on a call and talk about some of this uh, decision-making that you're feeling a bit uh, paralyzed by. I think that it's normal and I would love to help you navigate this. So get in touch. You can either email me, Farnoosh, at farnoosh.tv. Let me know that you are the Facebook Lily who left the review. You can also ping me on Instagram, sending me a direct message there and letting me know the best way to get in touch with you. And we will make it happen. So thank you very much. I'm going to continue doing this for the remainder of the year. So if you are interested in connecting with me, this is one way to do it. Leave a review. I'll notice it. I'll shout it out. We'll talk. It's a very straightforward process. And I hope to speak to as many of you as I can. Okay, 
This is uh, Ask Farnoosh Friday. We got questions about how to put your child on a budget, how to negotiate your pay after years of being out of the workforce, and how to trust all the quote unquote successful entrepreneurs out there and the stories they share. How can you tell if they're being honest, if they're glossing over some important facts? I love all these questions. We're going to start with Valerie, who is questioning, seems, uh, some of the stories she's been reading online about online entrepreneurs and their success. Here she goes. She goes, I'm a devoted fan of your podcast, Farnoosh. I'm interested in starting my own online business with a website and potentially a podcast. I have gone into a rabbit hole of listening to self-proclaimed business gurus on podcasts about how to achieve your goals. Many of them are selling expensive master courses on how to succeed. Are there any business gurus you look to as a mentor while you built your business? There's so much information out there. It's hard for me to tell who is really credible and who's just selling the promise of a lifestyle to desperate moms like myself. Thanks for everything you do and good luck with your Dancing with the Stars dreams. Oh, well, thank you. A girl can dream. If anybody knows any Dancing with the Stars producers, let me know. Uh, This is a pie in the sky dream of mine. I would like to someday, you know, do the tango on live television. Call me crazy. I think it would be a great way to get in shape as well. And I hear it catapults your career. I digress. Okay, so Valerie, I hear you, okay? I And I don't think that you're wrong to be suspect of all these quote-unquote gurus out there that are selling their sort of skills and savvy, but really what they're doing is putting you into a funnel <laughs> to ultimately sell you some, you know, $6,000 course. Some of these gurus are totally legit. And before I go into some of the ones that I like or how to kind of test them out, I will say that some red flags for anyone listening, um, this is just my own perspective as, as someone who has gone through this exercise of trying to identify like the who's who of uh, online entrepreneurship and the legit ones. People who claim to be sort of like lifestyle entrepreneurs there are people out there who actually, that's their title. Like, I want to know what do you sell? If you cannot be straightforward about that, then I'm going to question your process and I'm going to question your success. There are a lot of uh, entrepreneurs out there, online entrepreneurs that boast, you know, seven figures of sales, eight figures of sales. That means nothing because what is also happening is they are spending almost as much as they are earning in order to get to a seven figure sales break. Do you know how much you have to spend to get to get the visibility for people to go through your funnel to buy your course? Um, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars a month potentially on just like Facebook ads. I, I hear this anecdotally from people in my community who are spending you know five figures, six figures on online ads just to basically get the attention of the masses to go through their portal, which is going to be, you know, first maybe a free webinar and then a download of some sort. And then they're going to email you many like five times in a row to get you to ultimately sign up for their masterclass or their master course, which is thousands of dollars. And there is an ROI to that for some people, but the margins are really what I care about. Like, okay, so you made $11 $11 million selling your XYZ course. What did you spend to get there? 
you know, was it 10.8 million? Because <laughs> that's really just a $200,000 profit margin. And you could just be, you could do a lot of different things at that point to get to $200,000. All this to say, do be suspect. Look out for these people who more or less just advertise their lifestyle and not really the meat and bones of what it is that they do. What are they selling? How are they selling it? There are a lot of stories about living in my car and then I made millions and people who sort of pass a lot of the details. I wouldn't give them a lot of time a day. A good podcast for you, I think, would be Mixergy. This is a great podcast where the host I know, and I've had friends who've gone on the show, he likes to ask you, how much do you make? How did you get there? Specific numbers. The the gurus out there that are actually transparent in telling you how they got to be where they are, what are their expenses, et cetera, I think are worthwhile. Ramit Sethi has a course called Zero to Launch. I've actually purchased it once upon a time. I thought about starting an online program. It didn't happen for me, but I really appreciated the, the advice in the course. And I have a lot of friends who've gone through his program. And Ramit's the real deal. Um, So I would follow him. I like Mixergy. And I think that you want to get outside the internet. For me, what's been really helpful is connecting with people one-on-one, in-person, coffee dates, lunch dates, Skype calls, to ask them about their process. People are much more uh, transparent and not so polished, right? When you're just talking over a cup of coffee about how did you get to be where you are and what are the realities of what I have to spend and how long I have to wait. I'm tired of hearing about how many people are seven-figure online entrepreneurs. Let me see your numbers. Actually, how did you get there? Because um, yeah, if you spend a lot, you can make a lot, but then the margin is not very big. Some In some cases, you have the right instincts. I think you got to do what works for you. You know, one of the best tips I ever got from an online entrepreneur, we went to lunch and a friend of mine, she said, don't start an online business. <laughs> She's like, if I could do it again, I mean, she was, she had a, a, some success with her program, but had since transitioned to more in-person programs, masterminds and, you know, retreats and workshops, because she said that the online course model has experienced a lot of fatigue and it is a lot of an investment in terms of trying to get that exposure to basically cast as big of a, a, a net as you can to hopefully capture, you know, 1% of those uh, people that are coming to experience your free webinar or whatever. I really appreciated that. And I haven't since started, you know, my own online program. I do all sorts of workshops and one-on-one and group coaching. All this to say, keep at it, stay curious, stay a little skeptic, get in touch on Instagram, send me some links to where you're spending some time and who you've been following. And I'll give you my two cents. All right. Next is Kira or Kyra. She says, what do you think is the best way to manage car, gas, and insurance expenses with a teenager who just started driving? She has a little job making about $100 a month. I wanted her to start learning about financial responsibilities as well as help her with the car expenses. Would a credit card be a good idea? I don't think a credit card as a teenager is necessarily the best move. I think instead maybe try a debit card 
She won't build credit with a debit card, but it will teach budgeting. And if you load the card with, say, you know, $50 a month on it, which is going to be her gas money, it will inherently teach her about limitations to money and making choices with where she's going to drive and how far and, and and maximizing that $50 every month to kind of get the most mileage, so to speak, out of those $50. And I think that if she does go over that set allowance that you want to help to provide for her car expenses, then she has to pay that out of pocket. One thing I thought of was maybe giving her um, a full tank of gas a month that you pay for out of your own pocket. And then um, if she goes over that, then she has to pay it out of her own bank account. Or maybe she splits the cost of that full tank of gas every month. I think that does teach you uh, the responsibilities of having your own car. And also, if there's a trip that she wants to make that's going to necessarily mean getting a second tank of gas, then she has to really figure that out for herself. Is it worth it? Because it's going to come out of her own pocket. And I think those are the sorts of decision-making and and steps that um, while you don't have a lot of money at your disposal as a teen, can start that critical thinking can really help you as you're maturing. And then as she gets older and maybe graduates to a credit card, that will um, be very helpful. My kids aren't there yet, but I think this is probably what I would do if I were a parent to a teen. Sarah says, hey, Farnoosh, I'm a new listener to your podcast, and I'm loving learning so many new things from you and the guests you bring on the show. Well, thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to have you in the audience. She says, one of the big things I hear over and over again on the show are tips about saving for retirement. That's right. Retirement's actually, I would say, the number one topic on this podcast, which is excellent. I think people that are, I think it's great that people are thinking about their futures, including you. She says, I'm 25. I have a 403B with the company I'm working at, and I'm contributing 3% of my annual income to that 403B at the moment. My company will match that contribution once I'm here for two years. However, I know it's important to always be thinking about the future. In a couple of months, I will have paid off one of my student loans, but will have a separate monthly loan payment to still make. Do you think it's best to put that monthly payment I'm making on the loan that is almost done towards the other loan payment or put it towards my retirement? Would love to hear your thoughts on this. All right, Sarah, this is an excellent, excellent question. And I think many of us listening would be interested to know what I think about this. And here's what I think. I think that unless this other loan that you have, this other loan that is going to continue to be due once this initial loan is paid off, unless the interest rate is 10%, 12% or more, I would say put the extra payment towards retirement. I think that you have such an advantage being 25 years old at a company that has a 403B to get a head start on retirement savings. Uh, this is going to pay off more for you, I think, in the long run than paying down this student loan faster, especially if the interest rate is not terrible. Not to forget with the 403B, just like a 401k, those contributions up to a limit are tax deductible. So you're going to be saving some tax money as well with this contribution. And then eventually you'll be able to take advantage of a company match. And some might say, well, you should always pay down your debt first. I don't know. I think that if the debt interest rate here isn't too high and you can make that monthly payment uh, comfortably every month, uh, I would put this extra money towards 
investing in the market. And you know, you're gonna be getting it at a time where I don't know where the market's going next month or next year, but in the long run, getting in now versus getting in like five years from now, I think you'll be better off because you're getting in what will be historically better prices, lower prices than five years from now. If the if history has shown anything, it's that over the long run, the market rises. I might be a little contrarian here, but if I were you and this other loan wasn't scaring me, I would put money into the 403B. All right. Gianluca. Gianluca, welcome to So Money. I've got your question here from Instagram. By the way, if you're not following me on Instagram, my handle is at Farnoosh Tarabi. And I'm very often on there answering your money questions, if not right in the moment, you know, later. And then I've, I reserve them for the show as well. Um, he says, if you don't mind me asking, how did you transition over to having your voice heard to help others, TV, podcasts, etc." Well, I have talked a lot about this uh, on other podcasts, so I would direct you to Good Life Project, Gianluca. Jonathan Fields is the host of the podcast, The Good Life Project. And I remember he asked me a lot of questions about how I got started and then ultimately transitioned to financial thought leadership and then giving advice. And I'll summarize to not bore everybody else who's maybe heard my story. But I think the catalyst for me to go from journalist to now kind of running my own ship and giving advice on a multitude of platforms was starting with a book. Not everyone has to start with a book. Some people could start with a podcast. Some could start with a blog. Some might start with a TED Talk. But you got to start somewhere where you're showcasing your points of view, your advice, your perspectives. And I would say that doing it not just once, but really being consistent with it. The success doesn't come overnight. You know, I wasn't successful the first day I published my book. And I wouldn't say I'm even successful now just in some measures. Like I'm, I'm going to keep at this because I really, really enjoy it and I love it. And every year is a, is a celebration of different kinds of successes, so to speak. But you know, uh, my work is not done. It's not complete. And I really, uh, really love what I do. So what I want to share with you is that discover something that you're really passionate about so that you know you can keep at it for many, many years to come. You won't be bored of it. But also what I want to say is that for me, and I think for a lot of people who are experts in their own fields and sharing their voices with their communities and the world, they are prolific content creators. And they got to find their medium. You know, I'm not yet on YouTube, but I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm curious and that might be my next thing. But for now, you know, I've got the podcast, books, television, some writing. That didn't all again happen in one year, right? I built that up. So starting where you feel like you can be your best self, you feel comfortable in that medium and then stick with it. This is a marathon. There's no such thing as overnight success. It may be on Instagram, you can buy followers and you appear successful, but that is a race to the bottom. Okay. So I would encourage you to go check out Good Life Project. Also, I was on a podcast recently called U-Turns, Y-O-U-Turns. And it, there it was a really, again, a good, great conversation about career and pivoting and transitions. And I talked a lot about my story. So I uh, would encourage you to go there. But I really appreciate your question. And if you're looking to get into this space too of thought leadership and voicing your um, ideas to the world, I would just say, don't wait, you know, just get started. 
Okay. Ruby has a career salary question, she says. Ruby says, I'm trying to make a career change. I'm in my early 50s with young kids. I know I'll have to take a pay cut. I've been having a terrible time getting my foot in the door for even an interview until now with the help of a friend. So when managers give you a salary range, does that mean there's no wiggle room? The top of the salary would cut my pay by 25%. I've also had managers give me a salary and say that's as high as we'll go. So we're talking about two things here, right? There's there's the response from hiring managers of here's our salary range, right? So that's a minimum and a maximum. I'm actually surprised that they would share that with you. That's not sometimes the sort of thing that people are upfront about. In my experience, I had to go kind of beg HR to tell me. Uh, I'm not sure there's wiggle room there because right there, they're telling you, you know, here's the minimum and here's the maximum for this particular role. And in many companies, medium to large size companies, they budget a range, a salary range for every single title and role. So in order to break through that maximum of that scale, scale or that pay range, you need to advance. You need to get a higher title. You need to get promoted. So uh, I don't know about wiggle room when they are very transparent about the range. I still think you should negotiate if they're going to come at you with, you know, somewhere in the middle of that range or in the beginning of that range, make a case for why you deserve the maximum of that range. If they're just giving you a salary and saying this is as high as we'll go, I think in that case, there's still room to negotiate. And what you really need to do is be explicit about the added value that you're bringing to the table. I'm not going to say it's a guarantee, but it is worth a shot. You know, if you're bringing to the job a deep network, a bunch of ideas that you can activate within the first quarter, even though you might be coming from a different industry, if you've got connections that you can leverage, this is really the time to bring all of that up. And they may realize that they've underestimated your qualifications because sometimes there might be bias. Like, well, if, if you're coming from finance and now you want to go into marketing, well, you know, you get, you're basically starting from the bottom. No, you're not. You have come, you're coming with years of experience working, working with teams, being a leader, creating relationships, understanding how processes work, understanding how to get stuff done. All of that is transferable and highly valuable. So making sure that you don't undersell yourself because uh, there may be some false assumptions. And I just spoke to a friend actually who is interviewing right now and she went in for a job and the description sounded very much like she could do it. And when she went there, realized they realized actually, as she was telling them all of the things that she has done in her career, that this position is actually a little junior to what she can do and that she's capable of so much more. She walked out of that meeting uh, with the understanding that they were going to come back to her with a new role and a new title and higher pay because they realized like they've got someone a lot more valuable on their hands. So I guess all of this to say, keep at it. Definitely negotiate. A pay cut is very possible given that you're transitioning. But I think that the key here is to continue advocating for yourself. And I would say even maybe hopping around in the first five years to other jobs to play some catch up salary wise. You know, sometimes they say the best way to earn more is to leave and go someplace else. So in this case, if you're going to be making 25% less than what you're used to in this transition period, well, think of it as just maybe a stepping stone. This is just the first job. You're here for 18 months and then you'll move on and be able to get back to where you were, maybe even exceed that. So thanks for your question and good luck. And that's a wrap, my friends. 
a little bit of a shorter Ask Farnoosh this Friday, but I uh, want to make sure y'all are getting back to some more fun. It's a vacation weekend. Really appreciate you spending some time with me here. And if you have questions for me, it's really easy to get in touch. You can go on Instagram, of course, and direct message me there at Farnoosh Tarabi. Also at somoneypodcast.com, I have a button called Ask Farnoosh. Just click on it and send me your question there. You can leave a voicemail if you like too. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Happy Labor Day weekend and see you right back here on Monday. Hope your weekend is so money. Money.